0: You're listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. As you know, we have a typical uh, setup. I say the name of the show, I introduce myself, and I get right to what we'll be reading from Martin Luther. Today, this is going to be a little bit different. Through reading some of the forthcoming sermons. I wasn't really sure where to go next. I could have easily read the next one, but there's three sermons that are all given on the same day. And um, some of the sermons after that, it's not clear exactly if uh, they're at the time Of the church calendar that we are in or not. So. We're going to have to break with tradition. uh, That we've established so far. And that whatever. We are in the church calendar. That's where Martin Luther is. (coughs) And we're going to have to do something rather belated. I've decided the text that we're going to read and listen to for you is a sermon given by Martin Luther on Christmas Day. It was the principal sermon he gave on Christmas Day. The text in which he's remarking on is John 1 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We all know these words. So, it's going to be interesting to hear one of the great theologians of our time in church history remark on this text and talk about this text. And that's why I chose it. Because I thought, go hearing Martin talk about these important verses that speak about Christ's divinity Was an important thing to share. With you all. I hope you enjoy it. Even though it doesn't quite fit. With the forthcoming Sunday. And technically. Christmas Day. Has passed. All the same. I felt it was a worthy sermon. For you all to hear. So. I really hope you like it. This is the most important of all the Gospels of the Church here, and yet is not as something obscure or difficult, for upon it is clearly founded the important article of faith concerning the divinity of Christ, with which all Christians ought to be acquainted, with which they are able to understand. Nothing is too great for faith. Therefore, let us consider this Gospel lesson in the simplest manner possible, and not as the scholastics did with their fabricated subtleties and it concealed this doctrine from the common people and frightened them away from it. There is no need of many fine and sharp distinctions, but only of a plain and simple explanation of the words of the text. In the first place, we should know that all that the apostles taught and wrote they took out of the Old Testament, wherein all things were proclaimed that were to be fulfilled later in Christ, and were to be preached. As Paul says in Romans 1-2, God promised afore the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ, through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Therefore, all their preaching is based upon the Old Testament, and there is not a word in the New Testament that does not look back into the Old, where it had been foretold. Thus, we have seen in the epistle how the divinity of Christ is confirmed by the Apostle, from passages in the Old Testament. For the New Testament is nothing more than a revelation of the Old. Just as one receives a sealed letter, which is not to be opened until after the writer's death, so so the Old Testament is the will and testament of Christ, which he has opened after his death, and read and everywhere proclaimed through the Gospel. As it is declared in Revelations 5.5, 5, where the Lamb of God alone is able to open the book, the seven seals, which no one else could open, neither in heaven, nor on earth, nor nor under the earth. That this gospel may be clearer and more easily understood, we must go back to the passages of the Old Testament, upon which it is founded, namely the beginning of the first chapter of Genesis, where we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was waste and void, Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Moses continues how all things were created like manner as the light, namely, by speaking or the word of God. Thus, and God said, Let there be firmament. And again, God said, Let there be sun, moon, star, From these words of Moses is clearly proved that God has a word through which or by means of which he spoke. Before anything was created and this word does not and cannot be anything that was created since all things were created through this divine utterance as the text of Moses clearly and forcibly expresses it what it says God said let there be light and there was light. The Word, therefore, must have preceded the light, since the light came by the Word. Consequently, it was also before all other creatures, which also came by the Word, as Moses writes. But let us go further. The Word preceded all creatures, and all creatures came by the Word. And were created through it. The Word must have a different being than a creature. It was not made or created like a creature. It must, therefore, be eternal and without beginning. For when all things began... It was already there. It cannot be confined in time or in creation, but is above in creation. Yea, time and creation are made, and have their beginning through it. Thus it follows that whatever is not temporal must be eternal. And that which has no beginning cannot be temporal. And that which is not a creature must be God. For besides his creatures beside for besides God and his creatures there is nothing. Hence we learn from this text of Moses that the word of God which was in the beginning and through all things were made and spoken, must be God eternal and not a creature. Again the word and he that speaks it are not of not one person, for it is not possible that the speaker is himself the word. What sort of speaker would he be? Who is himself the word he must be he must needs be a mute or the or the word must needs sound of itself without the speaker, but scripture here speaks in strong and lucid words, God said, and thus God and his word must be two distinct things. if Moses had written there was an utterance, it would be so evident that there were two, the Word and the Speaker. But when he says God said, and names the Speaker and His Word, he forcibly states that there are two, that the Speaker is not the Word, where not the Speaker. The Word comes from the Speaker. It has its existence, not of itself, but from the Speaker. But The Speaker does not come from the Word, nor does He have His existence from it, but from Himself. Thus, the words of Moses point conclusively to the fact there are two persons in the Godhead from eternity for all creatures that the one has its existence from the other first has its existence from nothing but itself. Again, the scriptures firmly and everlastingly maintain there is only one God, as Moses began saying, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Deuteronomy 6:4: Hero, Israel, Jehovah our God is one God. Thus the scriptures proceed in simple, comprehensible words, and teach such as exalted things so plainly everyone may well understand them, and so forcefully no one can gainsay them. Who is there that cannot here understand from these words of Moses that there must be two persons in the Godhead? Yet but one God, unless he wishes to deny the plain scriptures. Again, who is there so subtle as to be able to contradict this doctrine? He must distinguish or keep apart the word from God, speaker, and he must confess that it was before all creatures, and that creatures were made by it. Consequently, he must surely admit it to be God. For besides the creatures, there is nothing but God. He must also admit that there is only one God. The scriptures forcefully conclude that these two persons are one perfect God, that each one is the only true, real, and perfect God who has created all things. The speaker has his being not from the word, but that the word has its being from the speaker. Yet he has his being eternally from eternity and outside of all creation. The Aryan heretics intended to draw a mist over this clear passage, and to bore a hole in the heavens as they could not surmount it. it. said that this word of God was indeed God, not by nature, however, but by creation. They said that all things were created by it, but it had also been created previously. And after that, all things were created by it. This they said from their own imagination, without any authority from scriptures because they left the simple words of Scriptures, and followed their own fancies. Therefore I have said that he who desires to proceed safely on firm ground must have no regard for the many subtle and hair-splitting words and fancies, but must cling to the simple, powerful, explicit words of Scripture, that he will be secure. He shall also see how St. John anticipated these same heretics, and refuted them in their subterfuges and their fabrications. Therefore we have here in the book of Moses the real gold mine from which everything that is written in the New Testament concerning the divinity of Christ has been taken. Here you may see from what source the gospel of Saint John is taken, and upon what it is founded, and therefore it is easy to understand. This is the source of the passage in Psalms thirty three six by the word of Jehovah the heavens were made. Solomon, in beautiful words, describes the wisdom of God. Proverbs 3.22 say that this wisdom has been in God before all things, and he takes his thoughts from this chapter of Moses. So almost all the prophets have worked in this mind and have dug their treasures from it. But there are other passages by the same Moses concerning the Holy Ghost. As for example, G- Genesis 1.22 And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Thus, the Spirit of God must also be something different from him who breathes him into existence and sends him forth. Yet he must be before all creatures. Again, Moses says in Genesis 1, 28-31, God blessed the creatures, beheld him, and was pleased with him. This benediction and favorable contemplation of the creatures points to the Holy Ghost. It's the scriptures attribute to him life and mercy. But these passages are not so well developed as those which refer to the sun. Consequently, they are not so prominent. The ore is halfway through in the mind, so that these passages can easily be believed if reason is so far in its objection as to believe that there are two persons. But anyone anyway, will take the time and trouble to compare the passages of the New Testament referring to the Holy Ghost with this text of Moses. You'll find much light. As well as pleasure. Now we must open wide our hearts and understanding, so as to look upon these words not in as insignificant perishable words of men, but think of them as being as great as he who speaks them. It is a word which he speaks of himself, which remains in him and is never separated from. Therefore, according to the thought of the Apostle, we must consider how God speaks with Himself, to Himself, how the Word proceeds from within Himself. However, this Word is not an empty sound, but brings with it the whole essence of the divine nature. Reference has been made in the Epistle to the brightness of His glory, the image of His person, which constitutes the divine nature, so that it accompanies the image in its entirety, thus becomes the very image itself. In the same manner, God of himself also utters his word, so that the whole Godhead accompanies the word, and in its nature remains in, and essentially is the word. Behold, here we see whence the apostle has taken his language, when he calls Christ an image of the divine essence, and the brightness of divine glory. He takes it from this text of Moses, when he says that God spoke the word of himself, It could be nothing else than an image that represents him, since every word is a sign which means something. But here the thing signified is by its very nature in the sign or in the word, which is not in any other sign. Therefore, he very properly calls it a real image or a sign of his nature. The word of man may also, in this connection, be used in a measure as an illustration, for by it, the human heart is known. Thus we commonly say, I understand its heart or its intentions, when we have only heard his words, as out of the fullness of the heart the mouth speaks. And from the word the heart is known, as though it were in the word. In consequence of this experience the heathen had a say Qualis escu esta talia laqueus. As a man speaks, so is he. Again, speech is an image of the heart. When the heart is pure, it utters pure words. When it is impure, it utters impure words. With this also corresponds to the gospel of Matthew twelve thirty four, where Christ says Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And again, how can ye being evil speak good things? also John the Baptist says in John three thirty-one, he that is of the earth is of the earth, and of the earth he speaketh. The Germans also have a proverb, of what the heart is full, or floweth out of the mouth. The bird is known by its song, for it sings according to its nature. Therefore all the world knows nothing, knows that nothing represents the condition of the heart so perfectly and so positively as the words of the mouth, just as the heart were in the word. Thus it is also with God. His word is so much like himself that the Godhead is wholly in it. He who has the word has the whole Godhead. But this comparison has its limits, for the human word does not carry with it the essence or nature of the heart, simply its meaning, or is a sign of the heart, just as a woodcut or a bronze tablet does not carry with it the human being, but simply represents it. But here in God, the word does not only carry with it the sign and picture, but the whole being. And is as full of God as he whose word and or picture it is. The human word were pure heart, or the intention of the heart, the comparison would be perfect. But this cannot be. Consequently, the word of God is above every word. Without comparison among all creatures. There have indeed been sharp discussions about the inner word of the heart of man, which remains within, since man has been created in the image of God, but it is all so deep and mysterious, it will ever remain so, that it is not possible to understand it. Therefore we shall pass on, and come down to our gospel, which is in itself clear and manifest. In the beginning was the word. What beginning does the evangelist mean except the one of which Moses says "In the beginning of God created the heavens and the earth? That the beginning and origin of creation. Other than this, there was no beginning. For God had no beginning, but is eternal. It follows, therefore, the word is also eternal. Because it did not have its origin in the beginning. But it was already in the beginning. John says it did not begin. But when other things began, it was already in existence. His existence did not begin when all things began, but it was then already present. How prudently the evangelist speaks. For He does not say, in the beginning, the word was made, but it was there. It was not made. The origins of his existence is different from the beginning of creation. Furthermore, he says, in the beginning, had he been made before the world as the earth, Arians maintain he would not have been in the beginning, but he would ha- have himself been the beginning. But John firmly, clearly maintains in the beginning was the Word and he was not the beginning. Whence has St. John these words? From Moses, Genesis 1-3, God said, Let there be light. From this text evidently come the words, In the beginning was the Word. For if God spoke, there had to be a word. And if he spoke it in the beginning, when the creation began, it was already in the beginning and did not begin with creation. But why does he not say before the beginning was the word? This would have made the matter clearer, as it would seem. Thus, St. Paul often says, before the creation of the world. The answer is because to be in the beginning and to be before the beginning are the same. And one is the consequence of the other. St. John, as an evangelist, wished to agree with the writings of Moses, wished to open them up, disclose the source of his own words, which would not have been the case had he said before the beginning. Moses says nothing of that which was before the beginning, but describes the word in the beginning in order that he can the better describe the creation which is made by the word. For the same reason, he also calls him a word. When he might as well have called him a light, life, or something else, as is done later. Moses speaks of a word, now not to begin, and to be in the beginning, are the same as to be before the beginning. But if the word had been in the beginning, and not before the beginning, it must have begun to be before the beginning. So the beginning would have been before the beginning. Did you catch that? which would have been a contradiction. It would be the same as though the beginning were not the beginning. Therefore, it is put in the masterly way. In the beginning was the Word. So as to show that it has not begun, consequently must necessarily have been eternal before the beginning. The Word was with God. Where else should it have been? There never was anything outside of God. Moses says the same thing when he said, writes, God said, let there be light. Whenever God speaks the word, must be with him. But here, he clearly distinguishes the person, so that the word is a different person than God with whom it was. This passage of John does not allow the interpretation that God had been alone, as it says that something had been with God, namely the word. If he had been alone, why would he need to say the word was with God? To have something with him is not to be alone or by himself. It should not be forgotten that the evangelist strongly emphasizes the little word with for repeats it and clearly expresses the difference in persons to gain, say, natural reason and future heretics. For a while, natural reason can understand that there is but one God and many passages of Scripture substantiate it. And this is also true, yet the Scriptures also strongly oppose the idea that this same God is only one person. Thus Thus arose the heresy of Sibelius, who said, The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are only one person. And again, Arius, although he admitted that the word was with God, would not admit that he was true God. The former confesses and teaches too great a simplicity of God, the latter too great a multiplicity. The former mingles the persons, the latter separates the natures. But the true Christian faith takes the mean, teaches, confesses separate persons, and an undivided nature. The Father is a different person from the Son, but He is not another God. Natural reason cannot comprehend this, but must be apprehended by faith alone. Natural reason produces error and heresy. Faith teaches and maintains the truth, for it clings to the Scriptures, which do not deceive nor lie. And God was the Word, since there is but one God. It must be true that God himself is the Word, which was in the beginning, before all creation. Some change the order of the words and read, and the Word was God. In order to explain that this Word is not only to explain that this word not only is with God and is a different person, but that it is also in its essence the one true God with the Father. But we shall leave the words in the order in which they now stand. And God was the Word. And this is also what it means. There is no other God than the one and only God. And this is the same God, it must also essentially be the Word of which the evangelist speaks. So there is nothing in the divine nature which is not the Word. It's clearly stated that this Word is truly God, so that it's not only true that the Word, word is God, but also that the that God is the Word. Decidedly, this, this, as this passage opposes Arius, who teaches that the Word is not God, so strongly it appears to favor Sibelius, for it speaks as though it mingles the persons. It thereby revokes or explains away in the form of passage, separates the person that says the word was with God. But the evangelist intentionally arranged his words, so as to refute all heretics. Here, therefore, he overthrows Arius, and attributes to the word the true essential of the Godhead, by saying, God was the word, as though he would say, I do not simply say the word is God, which might be understood as though the Godhead was only asserted of him, and whether not essentially his as you, Arius, claim. but I say, and God was the word, which can be understood no other way than that this same being, which everyone calls God, guards and such, is the word. Again, the Sebelius and Reason may not think that I side with them, mingle the persons, revoke what I have said on this point, repeat it, and say again, was in the beginning with God. The Word was with God. With with God, and yet God was the Word. Thus the evangelist contends that both assertions are true. God is the Word. and The Word is with God. One nature of divine essence, yet not one person only. Each person is God, complete and entire, in the beginning eternally. These are the passages upon which our faith is founded and to which we must hold fast. For it is entirely above reason that there should be three persons, and each one perfect and true God, yet not three gods, but one God. The scholastics have argued much pro and con with their numerous subtleties to make this doctrine comprehensible. But if you do not wish to become entangled in the meshes of the enemy, ignore their cunning arrogance and subtleties and hold to these divine words, press into them and remain in them like a hare in a rocky crevice. You come out and deign to listen to human talk The enemy will lead you on and overcome you, so that you will at last not know where reason, faith, God, or even yourself are. Believe me, as one who has experienced and tried it, and who does not talk into an empty barrel, the scriptures are not given to us for naught. If reason could have kept on the right road, the scriptures would not have been given to us. Take an example in the case of Arius and Sibelius. Had they clung to the scriptures in disregarded reason, they would not have originated so much trouble in the church, and our scholastics might have been Christians. <laughs> had they ceased fully with their subtleties and had clinged to the scriptures, all things were made through him. Has this not been put clearly enough, who would be surprised if stubborn men reject every effort to convince them of their error? Ever plainly, earnestly the truth may be told them, when Arians could evade this clear and explicit passage and say, all things are made by the word. The word was itself first made, and after all things were made by it. And this in opposition to direct words, all things were made through him. And there is no doubt that he was not made. It cannot be counted among the things that were made. For he who mentions all things excludes nothing. Saint Paul also explains in Psalm eight six when he says in Hebrews 2.8, eight, Thou didst put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he subjected all things unto him, he left nothing then is not subjected to him. Again in First Corinthians fifteen twenty seven, for he put all things in subjection under his feet, is evidence that he expected he is expected who did subject all things unto him. So also the words, all things were made through him. must certainly be understood to accept him by whom all things were made, without whom nothing is made. This passage is also based upon the first chapter of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 7, where all created things are mentioned which God has made. In each case it is said, and God said, and it was so, in order to show they were all made by the word, St. John continues and explains himself still more fully when he says, Without him was not anything made that hath been made. Nothing was made without him, much less is he himself made without whom nothing was made. Accordingly, the error of Arius should never have atta- attracted any attention, and yet it did. There is no need of comment to explain the word is God and the real creator of all created things, since without him nothing was made that ever was made. Some have been in doubt about the order of the words in this text. The words that was made, they take with the following words in this way, that which was made was in his life. Of this opinion was St. Augustine, but the words properly belong to the preceding words as I have given them. Thus, And without him was not anything made that hath been made. He means to say that none of these things that are made are made without him. So That he may more clearly express that all things were made through him. That he himself was not made. In short, the evangelist firmly maintains that the word is true God, yet not of himself, but of the Father. Therefore we say, made through him and begotten of the Father. I hope you enjoyed today's sermon given by Martin Luther. I thought you would really, really enjoy it. I quite liked reading it. It's quite a different argument than I've heard given by other people in the modern era uh, 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 for the divinity of Christ. I've heard the argument for the divinity of Christ given by many, many people, and there was something so simplistic about Luther's explanation over against what we modern Christians would wish to say about it. I think we could write it a little bit more succinct. the future, when I have such conversations, I'll strive to get closer to Luther than our modern-day theologians when it comes to the divinity of Christ. So this was given on Christmas Day. It was the third sermon given on that day. It was the principal sermon, and it was in regards to the text of John 1, 1 through 1-14, Thank you for listening to Voices of Church Past. I am your host, Rob Barnhart. May God bless you and keep you steadfast in one true faith. Till life everlasting. Till next time, take care. God bless.